Today we're going to be reading scripture from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Can you stand with me as we read God's word together? Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Good morning. Faith, thank you for uh, reading that passage first this morning. And if you're a guest with us this morning, I want to say welcome. Thank you for being here and, and joining us today. And my hope and my prayer for you is not that you carry these. I'm going to put these down for a second. Uh, they just make me think about the passage that we were reading. But um, my hope and my prayer for you, if you are a guest with us, is the same as it is for every single person who's here surrounding you today or watching us online, no matter where you are. And that simply is, wherever you find yourself in your faith today, I hope and I pray that you are able to take one step towards Jesus, because that's what we're all about here at Crossbridge. It's what we're all about. And today we are in week two of our series, What Matters Most. And this is a series where we, we kicked off last week kind of thinking through the idea and wondering, what happens when we spend more time in our life doing what matters now versus what matters most? We miss the bigger picture of what God's doing, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I think about this a lot. Um, even when we were in worship just now, I was completely overwhelmed when we began to sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and I began to think from like a 30,000-foot view, God, you've done so much. And I, this week, have complained about some stupid things, and maybe that's confession to you. I've complained about stuff that's just dumb. And I have forgotten his faithfulness, and I needed to be overwhelmed to go, that's what matters most. He's been so faithful. But I think about this question not just in my life. I, I think about this question in the context of our church all the time, right? I'm thinking, what matters most? And I, I think about this because, believe it or not, when someone finds out that I'm a pastor, I get asked the question a lot like, you know, even Friday, I was out golfing, and the two guys that I was with, they were like, oh, you're a pastor? And that's weird. And I'm like, yeah. It is, um, because I was beating them good. Um, it's funny, because the question usually is, so, wh where's your parish? What's it like? I love that question, because it gives me some great insight into the people I'm talking to. It tells me about their spiritual background, their journey. And I I've learned now in my time with people who are not necessarily going to some sort of church or practicing spirituality in any way, shape, and form, that most people around you and I are actually eager to talk about spirituality. They've got lots of questions, lots of thoughts. So when they're asking me that question, it's not like the obligatory, oh, what do you do? That's weird. It's really this opportunity because they want to engage in a conversation. But the thing that I like is it gives me a chance to talk about two things that I really love, Jesus and you. I, I, this is what I get to talk about. I, I tell them without hesitation, I kind of grin and I say to them, you know, 
Our church is called Crossbridge. We meet down in Swedesboro, and, and it's filled with some of the most amazingly loving and messed up people that you have ever met. Amen. There it is, right? Uh, th that's a great way to describe us, isn't it? Loving and messed up, right? If you're like, well, I'm like one or the other. No, you're both. We all are. I smirk because then I say the same exact thing to them that I say to you every single Sunday. I say, I hope that each person, no matter where they are in their faith, takes one step towards Jesus because that's what Crossbridge is all about. I know you're probably exhausted and tired of me saying this, and it's like, oh, I could parrot it back and, you know, make fun of them. But I need to tell you that this is what matters most to me as your pastor. Because no matter what's happened in your life that's brought you here today, no matter what your story or your journey has looked like up to this point, I don't really care because our direction is exactly the same. It's Jesus. That's our direction. And the reason that this matters so much to me is because I really believe this. I think it's really easy for us to feel like if we were to look at our life, we're doing what matters most when we begin to compare ourselves to the people around us. When we look at their journeys and their life, we compare ourselves and we judge those around us and we do that to make ourselves feel a little bit better. And we'll always be able to find something wrong in other people's lives, won't we? It's really easy to start picking people apart. And we do this usually to justify what we are or we aren't doing. I believe that Jesus calls us to a different life. A life where our eyes are focused on him. A life where we turn our eyes to Jesus. We move away from judging other people. This is exactly the heart of the passage that Faith had read for us this morning. A, a, a passage found in Matthew chapter 7. And if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. This is the biography of Jesus written by one of his disciples. We talked about that last week. A, a tax collector who was always being judged by the people around him. And in the passage that we're looking at, this is a great Summary, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 of the Sermon on the Mount, the, the teachings of Jesus all put into one spot. And this was his philosophy of life almost. Let's just jump in in verse 1. He, he says, do not judge others and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Now, can, can we just pause for a second and recognize that People inside and outside the church use this verse to justify, like, getting in people's face and, and saying, don't, don't tell me what I'm doing wrong. Like, you know, someone gets in your face about something stupid you did, and then you're like, don't judge me. You know, you're a Christian. Christians shouldn't be judging. Stop judging. That's not what, and it's used out of context, and we're real, right? We all do questionable things. We just don't like being called on it, so we use what Jesus says to get out of that. And, and it's important to understand that's not what Jesus is saying in this verse. When you look at the entire Sermon on the Mount, he has talked so much about the heart of who we are is so much more important than the actions that we're doing sometimes. It's out of the, the overflow of the heart that our mouth speaks, that, that we have these things that we do, but if they're not rooted in, established in love, we are in trouble because what matters most is that we are rooted in our love of God, and then we're rooted in our love for people, and then we'll go from there, sure. But it's our love, it's our heart that matters. So when Jesus brings up judgment in this passage right here, he, he's not focusing on the actions 
He's not saying you shouldn't judge people's actions. What he's talking about here is saying you do not get the privilege. You do not have the right to judge someone's heart or their intent. You don't get to be the judge of that. There, There is a difference between saying that was a bad choice and you always make bad choices. Does that make sense? You made a bad choice and you always make, or that was a bad choice and you make bad choices. One is judging an action and the other is judging character. And when we begin to judge someone's character, their intent and their heart, this is going to lead us to a constant flow of rash, unjust, and unloving judgments onto that person. This type of character judgment and assassination, I might even call it, was very normal in Jesus' culture. And so he explains it better than just saying, don't judge people. He uses a word picture, and I love Jesus' word picture, right? He uses this picture about something, you know, two guys, and they they each have something stuck in their eye. One has a piece of sawdust, and and the other has a log, has like, you know, it's, it's this deal here. Matthew never tells us the tone of Jesus. Sometimes I think when we read Jesus, we're always like, and you said Jesus. Look, since Matthew doesn't tell us, I'm taking some creative liberty here. I think Jesus was pretty funny sometimes. I think there's some humor in this. And he's trying to explain this. Like, don't be judging people. What do you mean? Well, just think about it for a second. It's kind of like, you know, you get something stuck. Have you ever had something stuck in your eye? You know when you get your eye, an eyelash stuck? Now, if you've got an eye thing, I'm sorry. Jesus makes this kind of weird and nasty. You're just going to have to deal with that. But you know when you get that eyelash stuck? You can't get it out. And if you wear contacts, you know how to do the dab thing. You got it. But if you don't, you know when that goop starts to come around and your body's naturally fighting the thing in your eye to push it to the edge so you can pick it? Right. I see some of you like, ew, you all have it. The eye boogers, we call them whatever you want. We all say the same thing. right? But you know you wake up with that stuff because there's something in your eye that's off. We all understand that. It it blurs the way that you see things. And Jesus is great. He's like, could you imagine not just a piece of sawdust in your eye, but you got a big old plank hanging out of your eye, and you come up to someone and you're like, hey, hey, I see you there. And uh, I'm looking at our folks online right now because I think we do this great online, right? We got giant logs coming out of our eyes. We see what's happening online, and we pick people apart, or we do it behind their backs. But, you know, we, we, we got this hanging out of our eye, and we're like, hold on, let me get that for you. Isn't that stupid? It's like, that doesn't make any sense. It, it would be ridiculous. You can't help anybody if this is hanging out of your eye. And, and Mr. Ilog, you, you're, if this is who you and I are, and we're hanging, here's the deal. Jesus says, let's be honest. You're not going to lose an eye if you've got a piece of sawdust in there to begin with. Like, ooh, that, that kind of was shocking. It's probably not going to happen. You get stabbed in the eye with this, and this hanging and dangling? you could expect to lose that eye, you might be blind. You can't really see correctly. And Jesus is trying to point the idea, uh, point down to the idea that if you think that you can go around pointing out all the little things wrong in people's lives without ever addressing the fact that you're messed up too and got stuff wrong in your life, he calls this being a hypocrite. You get no right to judge the intention of someone. You, you, that you have no idea what's going on in their life. It's like trying to pick out a piece of sawdust, which would be hard enough on its own, while you have a giant log hanging out of your eye. So before you go around judging the character and actions of others, let me just tell you, 
you better know who you are and what issues that you're carrying around because that impacts the way that you see. You know what I'm saying? All right. Jesus simply here says, you got to start encouraging each other. You're allowed to challenge each other. You should challenge each other. You, you should sharpen each other. You could make each other better. You should have each other's backs. But every time that he mentions throughout the context of his teachings about our judging of behaviors, that doesn't seem like something Jesus would do. Verse, you stink. Right? The difference there, whenever Jesus mentions these type of corrections, they're always, please hear me, always in the context of healthy relationships. They're never throwing darts at someone you don't know. And, and I know this, unfortunately, let me just tell you, if you find yourself judging the character of someone that you do not know, this is sin. I believe it's a point of us to stop, confess, repent, because this is not the way of Jesus. You do not know, and I do not know, the state of someone's heart. This is sin, and it needs to be called out that way but I'm just going to state it for what it is. Unfortunately, this is the norm for our culture too, isn't it? It's not just normal for Jesus's culture. This is normal for our culture. We judge people's character and motives all the time. Come on, politics? We vilify the other side. Whatever that side is, it doesn't matter. The other side is the enemy. On Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, you pick it. We judge people from behind a screen without them ever knowing we're judging them. It happens with the people that we work with, the people at our lunch tables. It happens even in our own families. We judge each other, our parents, our kids. And while I wish I could say that this doesn't happen in churches, let's be real. Churches are some of the most judgmental communities that are around in our culture. I thought there'd be an amen there. <laughs> I know this. I recognize it. And you know what's worse about the church and what breaks my heart is we judge each other inside and outside. We judge the world and we judge each other. And a life dedicated to the teachings of Jesus cannot be spent justifying ourselves by judging others. We cannot live a life like this to think that, that because it's just not the definition of love. The way of Jesus has, has us all recognizing, guess what? We all got garbage in our eyes. Every one of us has a different amount of gunk that needs to be worked out, okay? We've got areas that are broken and need of repair, don't we? I, I have plenty. What we don't need is someone coming around and pointing them all out to us if they're not willing to help rebuild these broken spots in our life. You know, it reminds me of a story from the Old Testament um, a great story that I've really been soaking in a lot this week of a man named Nehemiah. And, and Nehemiah was this, uh, this Jewish man who happened to be, he found himself living in a foreign land in exile. And, and he comes to a point when God says, I need you to go back to Jerusalem after like a first group had gone. And I need you to do me a favor and rebuild the walls that are around the city. And this is around like, you know, 5th century BCE. So he, he's part of this small group that goes back. He, he takes a look at the walls and he's like, oh, this is worse than I thought. Like, this is really bad. 
And when he does that, he starts to see how bad it is, but instead of just sitting and complaining about it, he starts to rally everybody in the city. He's got priests, he's got Levites, he's got gold workers, he's got perfumers, he's got men, he's got women, he's got kids, he's got everybody that, that he's like, listen, if you see a part of the wall that's near where you are, do me a favor, work on that part of the wall. And so everybody does. They get halfway done with the wall, they're pumped, they're so excited. Um, I, I think it's like Nehemiah 4, 6, it says this, at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. You can get a lot done when it's exciting, isn't it? Right? Excitement is great, and you can get right into it. But here's the thing. In this story, there are some villains. And, and, and the, the name that I'll just use while he's got this kind of crew around him his name is Sanballat, and, and Sanballat, what he does to begin with is he stands outside the city and he starts kind of hurling insults going, are you serious? Look how messed up this, the walls are. You're never going to be able to do this. You're the worst. Uh, let me just, a side note here. Anytime you're trying to rebuild something, there'll always be someone to throw stones, right? You, you could pick them up and rebuild with that, but there's always someone to throw stones at you, just like last week. You need the courage to stick to a plan, to care about what matters most. And what's funny here is we all have people in our lives who critique us. They throw stones at us and go, but look how low that spot in your wall is. Look how messed up that area in your life is. You can't be a Christian. You can't follow Jesus. Look how messed up this is. We all have those people. And, and, and I'd love to say, oh, well, just ignore them. Ignore them. Why do we tell our kids to do that if someone's talking bad about them? Oh, just ignore them. It doesn't work that way, does it? Because those people kill, still keep chirping. They don't shut up. They keep going and keep throwing stones. It's hard to live that out. And, and sand ballot, let me just tell you, these stones, these words... You know, they get, they get in the city's head. Everybody who's working, they start to listen. Because you can only hear something so long until you believe that lie. And they believe the lie, this is not going to work. Right? They, they then buy into this lie and they start to complain. And they say things that we say when people critique us. There's just too much rubble in my life. There's too much rubble at this wall. We're never going to get this done. We, if we had more help, we might be able to do this. You know what? I don't even know if I want to work on this right now because there's enemies that are waiting to kill us. They told us we're going to get attacked. They, they, we're not going to make this. It's just not worth it. And Nehemiah, though, oh, I love this guy. Let me tell you about Nehemiah. Here's what he does in, in chapter 4 of Nehemiah. Verse 13, he says, so I, and he's talking to the first person here, Nehemiah, so I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed area. I stationed people to stand guard by families, armed with swords, spears, and bows. And then, as I overlooked this, as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the, the, rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Nehemiah hears these words of the enemy, and he does not believe it. He instead, he stops, and he looks at the situation. He gets a better picture of what's really going on. He didn't let his imagination take these lies to the next step. He didn't let his mind wander because he knew what mattered most. You know what mattered most? we got to build this wall together. 
This is what God told me to do. We're going to build that wall. We're going to do this together, right? We've got to do this together. And he reminds everybody, this isn't about your work. This isn't about my idea. This is what God wants for his people, his city. This is what God wants. So we're either going to listen to the lies of these guys or we're going to trust in a great glorious God who fights for us so that we can get this done. And what he does, he pulls together all the people. He's got the leaders. He explains what needs to be done. He literally says, here's the next step to accomplish the goal. Here's the next step we have to take. The plan has changed, but the destination has not. We got a detour now, and he changes his approach. In verse 16, he says, but from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side, and the trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. This wall's going to get built. Can you feel that? He's not letting down on this. And, and at this point, he's like, it's going to take longer. I just don't care. And it's going to take longer because I need half of you guys to be building while the other half, you're ready just, just in case these threats do come through. Um, they're not idle. They could literally attack us. And I love these people, but this wall needs to get built. He took the threat seriously, but it did not stop him from going after the plan that God had put on his heart. And his desire was to motivate and to protect these people as they built he knew what mattered most, and he was willing to take whatever steps were necessary to accomplish it, regardless of how long this was going to take. Crossbridge, please hear me. As a church, we have to pay attention to this because there are so many people who surround you right now who are watching online and engaging with us from all over the country that you are learning and stepping into brand new things in your relationship with God that... that it's kind of shaking you up. Whether you've been a follower of Jesus for decades or you have just discovered Jesus here at Crossbridge, I know that there's a lot of things going on in your life. You're realizing that you're part of a much larger story than just your own. And you, I'm so grateful for this, have realized there are low parts of your wall that need some rebuilding. And there are people outside who look at your life and they're telling you to hide those broken parts. They're telling you uh, that it's not worth working on. They're telling you that it's not as big a deal as you think. They're telling you that going after Jesus is a crutch. They're telling you that religion is all garbage. It's crap. It's made up. You're just weak if you need to do this. And you feel conflicted because sometimes those lies feel really true. They're telling you why you shouldn't go after Jesus. And please hear me on this. Please, please, I'm begging you hear me on this. If you want to live a life dedicated to the plan God has for you, if you want to rebuild the walls that you feel like are broken down in your life, and you want to keep taking steps towards Jesus, you need someone at your back, not in your face. 
Let me say that again, and you can pick up with Jeff here, because I think someone here, you need to hear this right now. I needed this this week. If you want to go after what God has for you, if you want to look at these spots in your wall, rebuild, not to be a better, you know, look at I'm the best, but you know that this is better for the people around you. What God has for you to experience the deep love rooted in him and for others, you need someone at your back, not in your face. This is what we need. This is so much what we need. We need people who continue to point out and affirm this is what God is doing in your life. Yes, there's always going to be broken parts of our wall until one day past our death we will be working on rebuilding the walls of our life. I just don't want someone in my face constantly pointing it out. Most of us, come on, can we be real? Most of us we're self-aware enough to know what the bottom parts of our wall are. I know the places that I'm screwed up and messed up and that I am deeply dysfunctional. And it's way worse than you think. You could point out all sorts of low parts of my wall. And in my brain, you know what I'm thinking when you do that? <laughs> if you only knew. It's way worse than you think. There's no benefit to going around and pointing out how much people's walls are broken and telling them, look, I told you, look, I told you, look, I told you. We already know. I know what's worse than what you even see. Yes, I will be completely honest. We all have blind spots. We've all got them. And we should be called on some of those things, but it will always happen in the context of healthy, loving relationships. We need other builders who are willing to stand at our back with a sword while we're in a time of rebuilding to say, I got you. How long is it going to take? I just don't know. Okay, well, when you're tired, I'll swap with you. And they're ready, ready and willing to help us rebuild. We need to be the builders who have each other's backs. Amen? I'm not saying we need this. I'm saying we need to be this as well. But I'm, I'm telling you, I fear that too many Christians look like our villain, Sand Ballad, who sit outside critiquing and judging. We're not really trying to follow Jesus. We're just throwing stones from a pile of unaddressed brokenness in our life. Because it's way easier to judge other people's brokenness than deal with our own. I, when I find myself in a judgmental place, you know what the worst part is? I do it <laughs> where loving messed up people, your pastor is very messed up. When I find myself struggling with judgmental thoughts and attitudes, I do this to make myself feel better because I'm sitting on a pile of unaddressed things that I know I haven't worked on, and it's easier to judge others to make myself feel better about doing nothing. I'm sorry. It's so easy to do this. I've learned, though, that in my times of judgment, when I wrestle with it, if all I do is sit and judge, it's amazing how many people love to come sit in the rubble with me and judge with me. And the weird part is, uh, you know, I won't even say that yet, but if you find yourself around people who it's like, man, judge, 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 you might want to look and think, you surround, you know, surround yourself with people who look like you. This might be an issue the Holy Spirit's bubbling up in your life. Watch your mouth. I've attracted people who are judging. And when I'm in those places, the worst, here's the worst part. You and I both know 
when you're in a group of people who judge others, they're judging you too because you're judging those people next to you. You can't get away from it. Which is why I'm sitting in a place and that's the moment we probably need someone to help us rebuild. We need someone to say it's not worth looking at their part of the low wall. God's doing something here. Can I help you? And it looks different than pointing those things out because they've got our back. And when things don't line up and look like Jesus, I want someone in my face. And that's why I cling to his words. Do not judge others. And you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. We've all got brokenness and issues. We're all going to have to deal with these things in our life. All these low parts of our walls are existing. Everyone's got stuff stuck in their eyes. We've all got the goop. The question is, what type of person are you going to be with it? Are you going to be someone who ignores this stick in your eye and you end up trying to judge others to measure the issues of the people around you without ever trying to deal with the things on your own? Or are you going to be the, the person who's willing to step back and say, Jesus, could you help remove the stick from my eye? Not just that I could see clearly, but that I could help others and love them because I will see you more clearly and then I will love others more like Jesus did. And, and then we can help others take steps towards Jesus. Every week, I'll say it. I hope each person, no matter where they are in their faith, takes one step towards Jesus because that's what Crossbridge is all about. Every one of us is in a different place, and we come from different places. But what matters most is the same, that our eyes are on Jesus, that he is who we focus on, and I, I'm a visual learner, and I know that. Like, I love pictures, which is why I like, you know, playing with all this kind of stuff. And it just, there's something you're going to maybe one day think, like, you know, Jimmy looked like an idiot like that. Good, then may, hopefully you'll remember it's not our place to judge like that. Um, if that's what helps you, great. I'm willing to do that. But um, at Crossbridge, there's a, a visual that I like to use because it's been helpful for me. It's something I learned back in college. And I know that as a church, many of you have seen this before because if we've sat down over coffee and you've been wrestling with who knows what in your life, I pull it out all the time. So it's in like all 18,000 of my journals. Some of you, even today, someone said, oh yeah, I actually have that still um, on the napkin when you drew it the first time. And I was like, oh good. Um, so as a visual learner, I just want to kind of have some fun coming back and forth to help this idea. We don't, we don't get the right to judge people's actions because we or, or judge people's hearts because we don't necessarily know what they are all the time, okay? And so um, since the church is a judgmental place, let's just start with us because that's what's fun here. Um, I know that at, at churches we judge things and we say there's certain things, right? Certain things that we do, are we off on the camera? Did I, did I that's probably on me, I'm sorry. Um, so, all right, there, uh, I moved it and you moved it, so now you're going to have to do it again. Um, <laughs> I do that stuff all the time. When we talk about churches, and you can go ahead and this will be a time you could say things at Crossbridge that may, you may feel this way, or you could say, you know, in the big C church, if you feel like that's a little safer for you. So I'm going to look for some participation here and feedback, all right? 
And, and so what are some things that we say, we've always got these happening. We've got our don'ts and our do's. And uh, I'll be, I don't spell well, being dyslexic. There may be like all sorts of words. You're like, that's not how it's spelled. Yeah, sure. It works for me though. Um, so we're going to go with it. Or apostrophes, like I don't know if the S is supposed to go there. Is it? Nope. Great. Perfect. Is there like another apostrophe or something? I don't even know it's a real word. We're going to go with it. So see, hey, here we are. Um, <laughs> if things come across really well written, both Will and I will say we are grateful for the team around us. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Uh, what are some things that we say if you go to church, you follow Jesus, what, do, what are things do we need or, or shouldn't we do? Let's talk about our don'ts. Don't do this. Lie. Yeah, we, I'm going to use a different color. Let's go with it. Don't lie. Keep them coming. Don't steal. Swear. Uh, who said swear? Kim, do you mean like dropping the F-bomb or do you mean like let's make a deal, I swear we'll go through with it? Language, okay. Language. Uh, yeah, there's a difference, right? Because some people would say you shouldn't make deals, but I want to make sure we're on the same page. Okay. Uh, I'm going to put swear because that's what you said. And maybe I'll do a two, meaning both. Kill. Very ideal. Don't do this. Okay, great. Yes. Awesome. Covet. What does that mean? You know what? Don't even explain it. You know why? Because we tell people don't do this and we never explain things like that. Don't covet. What does that mean? I don't know, but don't do it. It doesn't make sense, but we say things like that. Yes. Amazing. Thank you. What else do we have? Don't. Come on. You guys are being so like kind. Don't what? Cuss? Lust. Ooh. Don't lust. Uh, we always associate this with what area of our life? Our sexuality. It's so much bigger than our sexuality. This is a whole disposition towards life. But we only say don't do it when it comes to lust. Absolutely. Don't gossip. Ooh. And, come on. First thing I got yelled at at my last job is I walked into the sanctuary on a day off of church with a hat on and someone reprimanded me deeply. And there was a lot of wounding that happened in my life because this was a very true thing spoken to me. That was so hard, Jared. It like destroyed me in my 20s. And the freedom to like wear a hat, guess what, you don't like it? It's really not that big of a deal, guys. No one, no one in scripture does it say I shouldn't. Put that hat on, there we go, amen. Hey, <laughs> does it make someone comfortable? Sure, is it anti-gospel? No, but... I knew this lie so well, and my spirituality was judged on this, without a doubt. You may think I'm less spiritual this morning. That's okay. So don't wear hats in church. Yeah. Love it. Anything else? False idol. No false idols. All right. Um, can I just throw a couple other things up here? Because I feel like... Some of you are like, oh, can I say it? Can I not say it? What do I do with this? The, the, we'll say Big C Church always has certain things that they can harp pretty good on. Um, depending on your background, we have don't drink, um, and that could be a big thing, or well, I'll put drunk up here because 
that may be the, up, the next end for that. Uh, drugs are up there. We've got uh, sex. Uh, it's actually funny, in a lot of churches, people talk about, like, don't have sex before you're married, but the way they talk about sex, you might think they mean that in marriage, the marriage covenant as well, because no one ever wants to talk about our sexuality in healthy ways. So we could even say, would you be okay if I put don'ts up here as talk about sexuality? Because I feel like that's one of those things, and if you're new to Crossbridge, sorry, this is what we do. Um, oh. But we, we know this, talk about sex. Uh, so we have all these things that could be here, uh, depending on your background, don't dance. Um, that might lead to, you know, if you have sex, it might lead to dancing. You never know, depending on your background. Uh, could be a thing. But it, it's funny how different that we've got these don'ts that you can't do. But then on the flip side of it, we tell people all the time, don't do these things when we're ready. But what do you have to do? Go to church. Oh, weekly church. Oh, come on. Oh, so that's why we're portable, folks. If you come on Tuesday, you're getting arrested. Um, but it, there we go. What's being told? If the doors are open, you should be there. Um, yeah, open doors. All right, go ahead. Tithe. What does that mean? Give money. Any idea how much? Okay, where does, in the world does that come from? Because that's a, something everybody says do. Any idea where that is? It's in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. People are like, oh, it's only the Old Testament. I'm like, you're right. If you want to go with the Old Testament, your bottom line is 10%. You want to go to the New Testament, Jesus says sacrificial. That means more than 10%. I'm like, all right, Jesus. We'll just stick with 10% so you feel better, okay? All right, dues. What else do we have to do? Ah, oh, read. How often should I read, Joe? Read every day. How long? At least a chapter. All right. What else do we have? Oh, yes. You're really spiritual if you pray out loud. Go for that. That's a definite do. What else? You're supposed to sing. I heard, except for the worship. Yeah, said yes. Amen. I hear that. Hallelujah. I heard something over here. Serve, uh, yes, you're supposed to serve. Um, that means like be part of something or everything, depending on, yes, <laughs> it's, it's okay to say that. Sabbath, you know, it's so funny. Jeremy, I love that you said that because this is one of those that every church I talk to, they don't understand, they're like, what do you mean Sabbath? Like take full 24 hours off? No, don't do that. Work with all of your heart, soul, mind. And it's like, it doesn't say work, it says worship. You know, but it's, it's unique here. I like that. Anything else? Small groups, life groups. Yes. Listen, there's certain things that we need to do. Uh, did you ever feel the guilt about evangelizing? Uh, Z-S, I don't know. Uh, lies, uh, we'll just do that. I don't know. Uh, evangelizing? Is it a Z? Yeah, all right, good. If you don't know, then we're sticking with it. Um, if it's online forever, you could just go ahead, type out my typos and re replace it. Here, here's the deal, guys. Um, when we live life with nothing but a list of do's and don'ts where we can sit and judge each other based on, you know what? When I hang out with Chris, it's different. I mean, he hasn't killed anybody, neither have I. We're on the same, same thing. But, you know, he, he does dance. I've seen it. And, I mean, he's got good beat. He's our drummer, so, but I don't dance, so I must have a little bit of a, a, a more mature spirituality. However, he, 
he reads every day and I don't, so there, therefore I must kind of, kind of you know, and, and we begin to look at the do's and don'ts, not as things that God invites us into. It's not that some of these are bad things. They're beautiful things. Spending time with Jesus, you know, through uh, time reading every day or praying, whether it's out loud or not, it, it doesn't matter, but spending time with Jesus is value. But the moment we use that as a measurement to figure out where we are with each other, to judge someone else's spiritual journey, we're doing it usually to make ourselves feel better, to see where do I fit in the context. And at Crossbridge, this is dangerous if you start to do this because you will get called out. You do not get the right to sit and say, well, I'm better than them. Because guess what? We're all a loving hot mess. This is the community you've chosen to be a part of. And the thing with this is, is if we live life like this, you will always feel less than others and better than others. You will always be striving to look like someone else who maybe is more mature in your mind, but you will look less like Jesus because that's not where your eyes are. And so we continue to say, I want you to take one step forward. And our youth make fun of me saying, I want you to, you know, personal, you know, uh, make fun of Jimmy. And it's like one step forward. And I love it. You know why? Because the do's and don'ts are gone. And I no longer care if you're sitting there doing and donting because at Crossbridge, what matters most is that Christ is at the center. And if we're all coming at Jesus from different places, guess what? Your life looks different than mine. Therefore, your step towards Jesus will look different than mine. What he asked of Matthew is different than what he asked of any follower. What he asked of John or Peter, they were different. Why? Because God cares for each one of us differently. And what part of our wall might be low might be different than the person who's next to you. And so this morning, what's great is, you know what? Sean, Sean could be right here right now. And this is where God has him in life and he's pretty tight with Jesus and things are looking great. And, and, And maybe his spiritual rhythms have him in a place where he's in this awesome place with Jesus, but I'm feeling like I'm out here. Does that make Sean better than me? (laughs) Usually. What that means is it doesn't matter. I'm not comparing myself to Sean. Who's better? It doesn't matter. The question is, are Sean's eyes on Jesus? Because if they are, He can look through that cross to see a man who's super messed up created the image of God and not say, dude, get your crap together, Jimmy. You're a a mess. And instead say, would you follow me as I follow Christ? You seem to be looking this way right now and complaining all week. I don't know that God has a heart of complaining for you, but a heart of thanksgiving. Can I celebrate with you this week? And I begin to turn my eyes on Jesus. Our target is not to look like each other, not to be better than each other, not to judge. Am I doing more than you're doing or less than you're doing? Our target will always be taking one step towards Jesus till the very day we die. And I pray that on our deathbeds, as morbid as it sounds, that we would embrace the spirituality of death so well that we would step and identify with Jesus on the cross in a way that would be like, I couldn't take this step till now. And there would be someone next to us, not in our face, but at our back saying, job well done. You've rebuilt well. Look at the story of your life and all the people that have helped you. Not thrown stones at you, 
not tried to stab you with their swords, but were at your back. At Crossbridge, if you find yourself comparing, you're in deep trouble here. Because it's going to come back quick that you will be judged. Because we've all got these things in our eyes, don't we? So what would it look like if we were the church that said, wherever you are in your faith, could you explain your story and let's see what step you're taking? And some seasons will have massive steps. Other seasons, maybe none because you're exhausted and that's when you need someone at your back more than ever. It's about our direction, not about all that we accomplished. Does that make sense? Is this helpful? As we move to celebrate communion today, and I'm grateful Meg mentioned it with our life groups. I do not want to say everyone needs to be in a life group because that's what you have to do. I think we need to be in a life group because these are groups of men and women and teenagers who have your back. That, that someone who's willing to fight for you when you got nothing left and they're saying, I, I get it, I've been there. Oh, I know what it's like to rebuild that part of the wall. Whew. It's going to take a while. Okay. I need that in my life. You need this in your life. Some of our marriages need this because some areas of our marriages are low or our relationships are low. I, I need people who are single in my life to help me. I need people who are grandparents to help me because I'm not either of those, but they make me point, and they point me towards Jesus more. If we are not doing this together, what a waste of time. You're wasting your time on Sundays. You would waste your time during the week. But you cannot go after Jesus if all you have is people in your face. You need people at your back. I want to see you in a life group, not for a number's sake, but for your spiritual journey. Who is it that has your back? Those sign-ups will be in the back. Everybody will be back there. You can hit that up. But to close in communion, I want us to be able to just receive communion with an old hymn that has uh, not left. I think it was weeks ago that I asked Pastor Will, could we close with this today? This is our goal. And I've thought nothing but turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I want to see you through the lens of Jesus. I want you to see me that way. I want you to see your neighbor that way and your kids that way and your spouse that way. And when you come to celebrate communion and receive the elements of Christ's body and blood, we see the people across the table who have your back. And we see them through the cross. This is the gift of Jesus, amen? If you find yourself in a place of judgment, before you come and take communion, would you take time to confess? And I will even say it's weird, but if you feel like it's in someone here, go confess that to them and ask for forgiveness. And then ask to take communion with them because the cross brings us together. Jesus, we remember you. As we receive communion, we do not take it. It's already been set for us by you. We turn our eyes to you in this time. Holy Spirit, would you help us to look like you? as we worship through this together as your church, in Jesus' name.